Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. A little bit later on in the show, we're going to talk about a new dating app. But it's not exactly a dating app. It is an app that's a contract that you will sign the next time that you're thinking about having a one-night stand. We'll get to that topic with my panel. We have Be Ready for the Lightning author, Grace O'Connell. Nice to see you. Hi. Thanks for having me. Uh, Margaret Atwood called your book Gripping, Twisty Novel, Killer Peter Pan, Hijacked Bus, Complex Loves, and more, with an exclamation mark. It was the exclamation mark that was the most exciting. That really, that really yeah. sold that, that really for me. pushed it over the top. <laughs> so we'll get to Grace McConnell in just a little while. Um, Jennifer uh, Commons is here. She is the founder and CEO of Pluck Tea. And we're drinking some Pluck Tea right now. We're going to talk about all the different kinds of ones that you have here. Um, if you hear slurping sounds, that's the lemon tea that you brought in, right? That's right. And what? What? tell me what I'm about to drink here. So that has uh, lemongrass, organic lemon peel, and mm. actually um, cranberries from Muskoka. Wow, it's delicious. Thank you. It's really good, and I have a sore throat, so it's perfect. Uh, you're a, a tea sommelier. We're going to talk about that. Um, in a couple of minutes, and we'll just find out what that means, uh, and we'll find out all about PluckTees.com. Uh, Connor Thompson is here. You can see him in Toronto every first Thursday of every month, the next one, February 1st, mm -hmm. at the Bad Dog Theatre. What's the show? That's right. Uh, it's with my uh, improv troupe called the Lusty Mannequins. Um, we're four Second City <laughs> alumni, and uh, yeah, we just do great work. So come see it. Come have a laugh. How long were you at Second City? I was at Second City for a year and a half. I did three main stage shows before that. I did the touring company. I was there many years. Um, and uh, all these guys, yeah, in the troupe have done that job. And, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. We'll talk about that in just a little while. So first up, though, I want to talk about this contract that you may or may not sort of be thinking about signing the next time that you have a one-night stand. So there's an app called Legal Fling. And for people that want to have one-night stands or casual flings, they can create a legally binding contract for consensual sex encounters, uh, contracts that are aimed at protecting all the parties involved. Uh, Jennifer, since yes. you're right there and I'm looking at you, <laughs> let's start with you. Uh, is this, I mean, I don't know. This, to me, doesn't sound uh, practical, or it, it, at the very least, it doesn't sound like something that I want to be discussing on a date, but we live in a world where consent is you know, one of the most important things that we can be talking about these days. For sure. I, I wonder if we need to issue this consent before the date begins, if you can back out of the consent. You know, can I can I escape to the washroom and swipe left on that consent at any time? Does it obligate me to put out? Mm. Well, these are th these are all good <laughs> questions, right? I mean, I it, so. it, like, uh, you know, and, and I mean, it doesn't. I guess it's it's sort of more for, you know, afterwards when perhaps if you right. have buyer's remorse if you think oh i didn't want to do that but then they can say well look i've got the i've got a, a legally binding contract you signed i for me uh grace it sounds like a terrible idea but I, I, but i'm not sure i'm also not of an age that i would probably be using this anyway uh, to me, it sort of sounds like, you know, protectacreep.com. <laughs> um, I mean, consent can be, you know, given or revoked at, at any point in an encounter. So I think, you know, Jennifer's bathroom question is a very valid one. Um, you know, but sometimes people feel differently during a sexual encounter, uh, you know, well after the bathroom is an option. So right. uh, logistically, it doesn't really make much sense to me. Um, but also, I would say if, you know, you're that confused whether someone is consenting to sex with you, maybe err on the side of not having sex with them. Uh, you know, 
enthusiastic consent, um, yes means yes. Like, do you really want to sleep with someone who you're not sure wants to sleep with you? I, I know. I agree 100%. <laughs> I mean, I think that's and, – and with the Aziz Ansari story that came up earlier this week um, where it was awful, the things that happened. I don't think it was illegal – but it was awful. The, a, a woman named Grace, she was named Grace in, in the story uh, on Babe.com, um, met Aziz Ansari. She's a photographer. They went out. They had dinner, had some wine. Uh, he wanted to sort of hurry through dinner and said, let's go back to my apartment. And then was was handsy in the extreme. I don't want to sound like a grandfather. I'm trying to say <laughs> how did – I'm trying to figure out how to talk about this mm-hmm. on the radio. Uh, and But they were, they were both naked. But she um, – physically was giving him clues that she did not wish this encounter to go on. And I mean, I guess that is the kind of instance that people will say, well, that's why you need a contract. But I still don't, um, Connor, think that it, that, that it would make a difference. I can't imagine that you can have a legally binding contract for, for sexual encounters. No, this seems like kind of a uh, kind of over response maybe to kind of the current climate of things and it does i I agree with grace it sounds like uh, you know creeps ways of being like well you signed this so i get to touch this and this and this Um, it's yeah it does it's it's yeah it's fairly ridiculous i would say it is, and I wonder if there's a lot of fine print at the bottom yeah. that nobody reads. Like, mm. when you sign your new cell phone contract, do you ever read any of that <laughs> stuff? Nobody does. It feels it, a little Black Mirror-y. Do you know what I mean? It does, like it yeah. Feels yeah. A little black Mirror, yeah. 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 And Which what if there's a data breach? That's the other thing, oh, right? God, I mean, yeah, what imagine? if it gets out yeah. all the people you've signed a contract with right. to have sex with? <laughs> right. That's almost as humiliating. Or not just that, but I mean, what are the logistics of making sure that you are you when you're agreeing to this? Am I just clicking a button? Are, mm, are you right. picking up my unconscious finger? And yeah, exactly. Or, finger the print, or, or are you yeah. taking a fingerprint or something? Yeah. That's a that's a good item. And, and I don't have the the uh, the the details on that. It does say the contracts can include privacy agreements for videos and photos, and can be customized to include clauses on sex without protection, agreeing that the other person is, is without STDs, et cetera, et cetera. It does sound a bit like a sports contract too. When we're getting <laughs> down to it, it's almost like you know three three days of sex, uh, <laughs> signing bonus, um, you know, no trade clause in there too. Can't be traded for another partner. It's a bit. Eighty percent of games to get the bonus. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> performance bonuses for sure. There are definitely performance bonuses, right. and yeah, it's it all seems a little over over the top. And it can be uh, sent over Facebook Messenger. Uh, Telegram, whatever that is, it's an app. It's not like sending a telegram to right. someone. Uh, and WhatsApp. So it, it seems to me like this is sort of before anything has happened. You're saying, okay, I'll pick you up at 8, but at 7 o'clock, just have a look <laughs> at this thing that I've sent over uh, just in case we decide to go back. It yeah. this, this, to me, uh, sounds like a terrible idea all around. Mm, now, there, yes. A psychologist has just released a study that says more and more people in relationships are micro-cheating. And micro-cheating, uh, if, you are, if you are married or you've been in a serious relation, a committed relationship with someone for a long time, micro-cheating can be those little behaviors that you might have at work with someone or, you know, people will say, oh, I've got my work wife or my work husband and we, you know. <laughs> and, and the idea of these micro-cheatings uh, are that you would share things with your with 
someone else of the opposite sex or perhaps of the same sex, depending, um, that uh, you would typically only share with your spouse or mm-hmm. you know significant other. Um, I don't know. I think we're starting to overanalyze interactions between men and women and, and, and humans and men to men and women to women in such a large degree that I, I don't know. I, Connor, uh, it just, are you micro-cheating? Are you um, micro-cheating with your eyes right now? I think now? I'm micro-cheating with all of you right now. So, <laughs> sorry, Ashley. But, um... Busted. I, I, big time busted uh, on radio, too. Oh, boy. Uh, it seems like, um... Well, I, I feel like it depends on the relationship. I don't know. Like, it depends what you're comfortable with and uh, how you're comfortable, how comfortable you are with your partner or spouse being flirty or having friends that you're not friends with. And that's just a completely individual relationship basis. So what someone's micro-cheating might be, sending a text to someone of the opposite sex, might just be completely nothing in another relationship. So it really, it's all just comes down to your personal kind of level of comfort with what you and your partner do. Jennifer, uh, do you, I mean, do you see anything in this at all? I mean, because I, I get it. I mean, I, and I have known some people that have been extremely jealous uh, mm-hmm. of of the relationships that their significant other has had uh, with people that they work with or, or someone at the dog park or something. Uh, but I, I think labeling it micro-cheating seems to to shift it into another gear. Yeah, it seems a little clickbaity to me, and, and like we're putting a term on something that is really about two people communicating. I mean, mm-hmm. it, there are all kinds of relationships out there. Uh, there are open relationships, closed relationships, married relationships, you know, all, all kinds of relationships. So I think as long as people are uh, expressing their expectations of each other in the relationship, uh, you know, it's all good. Uh, apparently, one of the ways you can tell if you're being micro-cheated on is if you walk into the room and the person you're with immediately closes their laptop. Or, or flicks a, closes down Gmail wow. right away. Grace, does that, does that seem like uh, just someone who's being... Uh, I would just secret? assume, you know, that my fiancé is just buying me a lot of presents online. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Planning a nice surprise. Yeah. Or playing a video game that when you're supposed to be working or something like Ordering that. Ordering 500 yeah. copies of Be Ready for the Lightning yeah. on yeah. Amazon.com yeah. to give to everybody. Which, you know, is actually a fun activity for everyone. <laughs> That's right. Mm. Yes. Everyone should be doing this. But no, I mean, I, I work uh, at home mm-hmm. alone, so my work husband is my cat. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and if you're sharing secrets, here's the thing. Uh, it's about secrecy and deception. So if you're not sharing your life with your cat or if you're lying to your cat, then you're <laughs> micro-cheating on your cat, which to me doesn't seem a like a good thing. So we've only got about 30 seconds left. Um, so one of the teas that mm. you've brought out here has actually changed color now that we've put lemon in it. Yes. So tell me about that in 20 seconds. Okay, so this is our Verbena Blues tea. It has butterfly, uh, butterfly pea flower, which is a flower that grows on plants uh, in Thailand at a mm. co-op that we buy from. And it's got lemon, it's got ginger, and it's kind of a cool drink because it actually changes color with a change in pH. So if you take a, a lemon and squeeze that into the drink, uh, it will turn color. So it's a magical tea. We call it the unicorn tea. It's also delicious. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <clears throat> um, we're going to be back in just a couple of minutes, and we're going to talk about cell phone addiction as a growing problem with my guests. Be ready for the lightning, Grace O'Connell, 
she wrote that book. It's available right now. Margaret Atwood and everyone else loves it. Jennifer Commons is here from Pluck Tea and uh, at the Bad Dog Theater, first Thursday of every month, you can see Connor Thompson uh, and his uh, group. What are they called? The Lusty Mannequins. I love that. Stay with it's us. So good. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. In a few minutes, we're going to talk about uh, cell phones. Are you spending too much time on your cell phone? Do you think that you're actually addicted to your cell phone? How many times since I've been talking have you checked Twitter, Facebook, and your emails? Give yourself a number, and then you'll know, I think. Then you'll know if you're addicted or not. And we're going to talk about that with my guest, Connor Thompson, is here. Uh, he's an actor, former Second City member. Now you can see him every every first Thursday of the month at the Bad Dog Theater in Toronto. The Lusty Mannequins is the name of his uh, group. Uh, and we'll talk all about that a little bit later on in the show. Uh, Grace O'Connell is here. Be Ready for the Lightning uh, is the title of her book. It's in bookstores right now. Uh, we're going to talk about all this uh, in just a little while, but we have to talk about the tea first. We have to talk <laughs> about this tea. Jennifer Commons is here. She is the CEO and founder of Pluck Tea uh, Inc. Yes. Incorporated. Mm -hmm. uh, you are a certified tea sommelier. So tell me how that happens. How do you become a tea sommelier? I know wine sommeliers. Yeah. Can any liquid, can I be a water sommelier? Uh, probably. Probably. I think yeah. there's a school out there for you. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the Tea Association of Canada offers the tea sommelier program, and it's really unique because it's the only one in the world. So if you ever meet a certified tea sommelier anywhere, they've actually worked with the with Canadians, which right. is great. Um, so two years of education, a lot of tasting tea, a lot of drinking tea, and um, learning about cultivation methods and harvesting methods, every everything end-to-end, -end, you know, all about tea, which is actually one plant, whether it's green or black or white, it's all one plant. It's quite fascinating. I could go on for hours, but well, I won't. Well, let's, let's go back <laughs> a little bit. How did sure. you get interested in tea? I mean, it's fairly specialized. Um, I always think that, you know, there's a, there's a connection. There's always a connectivity to mm. everything, right? So, you know, I, I, when I, and I only drink tea. I don't drink coffee. So when I only drink tea, and, and one of the things that I think of as I'm sitting there brewing a pot of tea is my grandmother. Mm -hmm. You know, you think of that yeah. and there's connections that way. For you, what was it that sort of pushed you? Well, like this? you, my grandmother, uh, my, 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 she has this, this amazing um, tea garden in uh, Georgian Bay. And so she would grow chamomile and mint and all kinds of different herbs. And we'd make these fresh pots of tea with, with that, which was great. And having British parents, of course, we mm -hmm. had tea four times a day yeah. um, and growing up up, it was a really important part of life. Then I got diverted into the corporate world and obviously sold office furniture, uh, which is a natural progression to yep. be a tea sommelier. Um, but one of the things that I did a lot of was taking people out to dinner. So we took out a lot of important clients and a lot of great dinners later. I realized that the restaurant industry just did not get tea right ever at all. Oh, no. If you're a tea drinker, who here drinks tea? Anybody? Oh, Everyone? Yeah. All the yeah. hands went up. <laughs> you ask for a tea and you get a tea bag on the side, one of those terrible little pots that the water hasn't ever been boiled uh, <laughs> in. Yeah, no. And, and often now, um, the water comes out of uh, cappuccino machines. They sort right. of have that. So it's not boiled. Uh, right. It's terrible. It's almost impossible to get a great cup of tea unless you're, you know, at the four seasons or something like that for sure and the thing is is that tea is happening at the end of the meal so it's also a final impression yeah. for the the person who's who's enjoying the food and the experience so it's a great opportunity for restaurants to um to up their game and to leave a great lasting impression and it's a low-cost menu item too it's also a zero calorie beverage that has loads sure of antitoxins is. i'm reading from your brush release <laughs> here but tell me the health benefits of it 
So tea is very hydrating. Mm -hmm. um, unlike coffee, it doesn't get you up on the ceiling in 20 minutes and crashing down. So it is actually a perfect after-dinner drink. It has, depending on what's in the tea, very various digestive properties, um, all kinds of antioxidants. And so it's a really wonderful drink for any time of day. And there's so many different varieties. Uh, there are just so many benefits. I'm speaking with Jennifer Commons. She is the founder and CEO of Pluck Tea Incorporated. Where can we get Pluck Tea? So you can find Pluck Tea at Indigo stores across mm -hmm. Canada. You can also find it online at our website, which is PluckTeas.com, and at a whole network of wonderful restaurants uh, across Canada. And um, it seems to me that more people are drinking tea now mm -hmm. than it used to be. That it used to be that you, you there was Red Rose and there were you know there were a couple of brands that everyone sort of had. Uh, but now when you go, do you see pluck teas? You see more kinds of teas out there in the world. So is it growing? Absolutely. Five years ago, you'd be really hard pressed to find an excellent cup of tea in a restaurant in Toronto. I'm really happy to say that that's definitely changed. And. Let's talk about the ingredients. So uh, this has uh, the, the, the purple drink. What was it called again? The unicorn tea. That's uh, Verbena Blues. Mm -hmm. Verbena Blues uh, has some exotic things in here that I wouldn't necessarily associate with tea. So tell me again what I'm drinking. <clears throat> so you've got uh, ginger in there, lemongrass. Uh, we put butterfly pea flowers. That's the one that, uh, yeah. And, and actually we won the uh, International Tea Award for that uh, tea as an herbal blend in uh, around the world. So... So that was great. Yeah. So um, it's it's wonderful. It's it's got um, it's got lemongrass. It's got organic lemon peel and ginger and the butterfly pea flowers in there. And how do you find these? Like the butterfly pea flowers, I've never heard of. So how do you? Yeah. How it sounds do you made find... up. No offense, it but does. it sounds fake. It does. It it sounds fake. Um, but how do you how do you find these things? And and how much experimentation goes into making mm. something like this? Well. Uh, there are various places that I look. I think the New York bar scene is, is a pretty good uh, place for inspiration. There's a lot of interesting things happening there, a lot of flavor combinations coming out of the cocktail world that we can reinterpret for tea. Uh, I love to focus on local ingredients. So when I'm at a farmer's market or I'm talking to somebody who has a local shop and something interesting that's growing there or being you know, ready for sale there, I'll buy it and I will try to steep it in water. I mean, it's amazing right. the things that you can you know, put <laughs> hot water on and it tastes great. Um, a great example of that is a local chocolate maker called Chocosol. And they're a bean-to-bar chocolate maker on St. Clair Avenue West here in Toronto. And we actually buy their cacao shells uh, mm. from the chocolate making process. So that's stuff that would normally be waste, I exactly. imagine. Exactly, right? yeah. And, you know, put that, put that into a teapot with some hot water, and you've got basically the most healthy hot chocolate of your life. Zero calories also. Uh, we use those uh, chocolate uh, shells in a couple of our different blends. And everything is made uh, and packaged here in Toronto? Right. We've got a place in Leaside where we blend and package all of our teas, and we do it all by hand. We have no machines, so everything's done by real people. And, wow. uh, and we're growing. So what, Was it, like in the beginning, was it you packing everything? And yes. then it moves from your kitchen table to the, <laughs> yeah. you know, and sort of, yeah. Um, I actually started in my friend's basement. Uh, they had an office building uh, just downtown here around the corner from where we are right now. And uh, it was a design studio. And they had this, this clean room in the basement. So I took that over and I would blend all the tea in the morning. And then I would go out in the afternoon and, and bring it to the restaurants get the next order and go back and blend it up again. Wow. So everything was delivered by me for the, actually the first two years. It took a while. Jennifer Common is, how many tea sommeliers are there in oh, Canada? That's a great question. Um, 
you know, practice. I don't bump into them very often, so I'm <laughs> no. going to say there's not that many. <laughs> you know, it, there's two kind of streams for tea sommeliers. One is uh, the group of us who work in the industry, right. and so you'll find them working in large tea companies and in, in the industry. Um, then you've got a whole bunch of people who might be yoga instructors, right. um, grandmothers who are just enthusiasts, nothing against grandmothers. We love our grandmothers, mm -hmm. but um, there's a whole group, I would say probably about 70 across Canada. Well, it's a rarefied group. Jennifer Common is one of them and also the founder and CEO of Pluck Tea Incorporated. Uh, go to plucktees.com. That's teas with an S. Uh, you can find out all about it there. When we come back, we're going to talk about cell phones with my guest. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. Uh, well, I promised we were going to talk about cell phones in the last uh, segment. We didn't because I was talking with Jennifer Commons. She's the founder and CEO of Pluck Tea Incorporated. Uh, she's also a certified tea sommelier. You can find out more about her at Pluck Teas, that's with an S, dot com or uh, social for Twitter and all that stuff, at Pluck Teas. And check it out because she's brought a bunch of tea in here. You're the first person to bring beverages to the radio show. So you win that, uh, that distinction. And it's delicious. It's so good. So check that stuff out. Also, Connor Thompson is here. Connor uh, has a an improv group called the Lusty Mannequins that you can see the first Thursday of every month at the Bad Dog Theater in Toronto. We'll talk all about that. I want to talk to our next guest, though, Grace McConnell. Uh, be Ready for the Lightning is uh, the name of your book. You were supposed to be here a while ago, and then you weren't able to be here. I was very sad. You were very well. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping you're happy to be here today. And uh, the novel's doing well. There's uh, tons of praise from uh, people like Margaret Atwood, uh, Elan Mastai, who wrote All Our Wrong Todays, which is a fantastic book. He loves your book. It's so, a fabulous book. I, I also heartily recommend yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Book. Yeah, uh, Elan Mastai, All Our Wrong Todays. He's been in here a few times talking about the, his book. It's fantastic. And it's being turned into a film, as I understand. Yes, he's that, writing the that script. he's writing the script, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, Be Ready for the Lightning. We're not here to talk about Elan Mastai. <laughs> Let's talk about Be Ready for the Lightning. Um, tell me about the book. Uh, so, the book tells the story of Veda, a young woman who ends up trapped on a bus that is hijacked in New York City. Uh, so it's the story of what happens there, but it's also the story of her life, uh, how she ends up there. So it's uh, it's very much a family story that mostly focuses on Veda and her brother Conrad. And Conrad's kind of a, a troubled guy. He gets into a lot of fights, and um, Veda ends up sort of wrapped up in that world with him. And uh, so the book, in many ways, is sort of an examination of, of violence, um, both through the lens of the hijacking and through sort of the smaller, more quotidian... Um, issues that, that Conrad grapples with through his life. And also, I would suggest that it's about the decisions that you make at every step of your life all Absolutely. the way along that lead you. There's a story that Hunter S. Thompson tells about trying to quit smoking. He was in a bar in Mexico. He couldn't quit. He buys a pack of cigarettes. Uh, he leaves the bar, realizes he's left his cigarettes in there. When he goes back, a fight is broken out. The police show up. They arrest him, <laughs> throw him in jail, even though he had nothing to do with it. He said, if I had quit smoking, if mm -hmm. I'd stuck with it, I wouldn't have rotted in a jail for uh, three weeks. So um, it's a, it's sort of about that. It's it's complex, I would think. Thank you. In a good yeah. way, I hope. Yeah, In a good way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so tell me about the, the nuts and bolts of, of writing something like this. Do you know where your what your end point is when you start? Uh, I, I didn't necessarily for this book. I sort of started out uh, writing the hijacking scene all at once in a notebook, sort of from nowhere. And the question that was um, sort of driving me was this idea <coughs> of, can one day of your life be more important than every other day put together, sort of? 
um, you know, whether in a good way or in a bad way. And, and that question continued through the writing process, but with all the drafts and, and working with my, my editor at Random House, um, who was terrific, you know, things start to evolve as you get to know these people that right. you're writing about and they kind of come alive and, and they sort of bring their own contributions to it. And uh, you say as the, the characters start to come alive, I've had writers in here tell me that it's almost like their characters are speaking to them. Um, others have said, no, you know, no, I make up the dialogue. So uh, what is it for you? What's the process for you as the, because it sounds like the story changed over time. It definitely did. It, it evolved a lot and, and changed. And we changed the ending quite a few times. Um, my original ending was much too dark, according to <laughs> my readers and editors. Um, but uh, no, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be too precious. I, I don't think the characters, I understand they're not real people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it is sort of all down on me. But I think, you know, as a writer, it, it helps to um, kind of download some of the labor of writing the book onto the characters. Right. <laughs> so right. You, you kind of trick yourself into thinking that they're doing some of the heavy lifting for you while you write. <laughs> and how long was the process of writing this book? It was about three years from beginning to end, I'd say, so about four or five drafts and, um, you know, about half of that with the publisher and half on my own. I've written a bunch of books, uh, nonfiction. Mm -hmm. I write different things uh, than you do. But uh, the longest I've ever spent on a book, I think, is about two and a half years. It, went, it was one of those books that I did like 300 interviews for and had to chase <laughs> people down and that kind of thing, which is why it took so long. Um, and and uh, it was all-encompassing for me. Like It's all I could think about for, those, for that time, particularly as we got closer to the end. <clears throat> How did you maintain your uh, enthusiasm for this one story, even though it's morphing and changing all the way along, essentially, you know, you're, you're buried in this world for that amount of time. Yeah, I mean, definitely at times <laughs> I didn't maintain my enthusiasm and wanted yeah. to throw my computer out the window. Yep. Um, but mostly, it, it for me, it, it really was sort of the emotional connection. I mean, at this point, now that the book has been out for, you know, six months or so, I, I sort of miss being in that world because right. I was there for so long. Um, and I, I miss sort of talking with those I, I'm, I don't want to sound crazy, so I won't say people, <laughs> but those aspects of myself, I guess. Um, well, you know, but there's there's nothing that says that you couldn't do a prequel or a sequel <laughs> to this and spend some more time with them. Well, but then I get, you know, lazy writer syndrome. Do you, no, also, do, do you think so? Uh, I mean, do I, I think I could ever return to these characters? Yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely wouldn't rule that out because I, I felt so excited to to spend time with them right. and in their world, and especially especially the central characters, and particularly uh, Veda and Conrad, her brother. Um, I had a real soft spot for Conrad. I feel like as a mother, you're not supposed to have favorites, but <laughs> I do as a writer, <laughs> and Conrad was mine. And how is it when you, when I, I have trouble uh, letting them go. And in fact, the, the last book, between its first uh, printing and second printing, I was still making changes to it. I couldn't oh, yeah. stop making changes to it. Uh, what's the process for you to let go? Uh, I mean, I guess the, the print date is a big... Uh... Well, it is. <laughs> I mean, but it, it, it is. But uh, but it's still hard. I was, you know, I, I revised no, right until the last second. Yeah, and I, uh, I had a, a writing instructor, actually, who's a, a wonderful writer, and she actually edited her book between hardcover and paperback, yeah, which yeah. is not, not usually done, but... Um, yeah, sometimes you, you just can't stop yourself. But no, I, I'm, I've, I think because it was a long process with this one and because there were so many drafts, I, I felt very ready to put it in the world. And I, I feel happy with where it is. And what's next? 
Uh, I'm working on two projects. One is a new novel, which is really just a mush right now. Yeah. It, it's not really a, a anything, um, but it uh, it certainly still keeps me up at night despite being mushy. <laughs> uh, and the other is a collection of short stories, which I'm very excited about because I'm a big short fiction lover and booster. Yeah, we've had Kevin Hardcastle in here. Who is I work a, with Kevin. He's terrific. He's, he's a wonderful terrific. Writer. Yeah, he's a wonderful writer. And, and uh, his first collection of stories was the one that got him... Trillium Award and, and, and a lot of notice before In the Cage uh, came out, his latest novel. Uh, but he loves the form. He loves the yeah. short story form. Writers love the short story. It's a very um, technical form, if I can nerd yep. out on it for a minute. It, <laughs> um, and it's a bit of a high wire act because it, there's always a lot more happening um, right. from a writing perspective than is going on in the page in a short story. Less is more. Yes. And it's harder, you know, It's everyone has been told this story but it's of a famous French writer who writes, a, I didn't have time to write a shorter letter, which yes, means exactly. sorry I didn't have time to actually think about what I was going to write and write it in a concise and, and kind of more interesting way. The shorter, the harder. The shorter shorter is harder. Uh, I asked Salman Rushdie one time, he was on Twitter, he just signed up for Twitter, I said, is it making you a better writer? Because you have to really think about every word and every, And he said, don't be ridiculous. And that was the end of the interview, pretty much. So, uh, you know, less is more. <laughs> That's the lesson I learned there, except for Simon Rushdie. Sure, he writes 900-page books. Yeah. <laughs> um, so cell phones. Are we addicted to cell phones? We have about a minute left. Connor? I've been on my cell phone this whole time. Have you? <laughs> yeah, in my Connor's texted, texted me twice. Exactly. Yeah, right. Exactly. I'm like, great. You're doing great. Chris. Keep it up. It's crushing this interview. Uh, uh, do, do you find, I mean, I'm the only one that has a cell phone on the on the counter well, here. Well, I thought I'd be respectful of the show Thank and you. keep it uh, kind of tucked away. I, you know what? I'd like to say I'm not addicted. I probably am. Like, I, I do like to think, oh, I can put my phone down for a week if I need to, and I could do that. Oh, for sure. But then i probably couldn't like i'm never gonna try i'm never gonna try to do that because well we are connected to it it is our our lives are kind of reliant on them so uh yeah you know i like to think oh i'm i'm a pre-internet kind of kid like yeah. i you know and I, I can entertain myself just by going for a walk in the woods well yeah that's probably a lie walk in the woods with my camera so i can take exactly. pictures of everything exactly. posted on instagram when we come back we'll continue the conversation uh with connor thompson we're going to talk about uh the lusty mannequins with him we'll talk about pluck teas with jennifer commons and grace o'connell's book is called be ready for the lightning it's in stores right now Talk to you in a minute. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. In studio, we just heard about Grace McConnell's book. It's called Be Ready for the Lightning. It's available uh, in fine and not so fine, I imagine, bookstores <laughs> everywhere uh, and on Amazon.ca. Every place that you buy books, you can find Be Ready for the Lightning. Margaret Atwood loves it. She calls it a gripping, twisty novel. There's an, one exclamation mark there. Killer Peter Pan, hijacked bus, complex loves, and more. And another exclamation mark. You got two <laughs> exclamation marks out of Margaret Double Atwood. Dipping, I'm Double kidding. dipping on that one. Jennifer Commons is here. She's the founder and CEO of Pluck Tea Incorporated. She's a certified tea sommelier, one of only 70 in the country. Yeah. Uh, you represent 170th of the tea sommeliers. Mm -hmm. Maybe in the world. I don't know. Yeah, I maybe. I just threw that out there. Maybe. There's more every day. Um, the tea is delicious. We're sampling some of it now. Uh, she uh, can be found at Pluck Teas on social media and PluckTeas.com uh, on the web. And then Connor Thompson is here. 
first Thursday of every month at the Bad Dog Theater on the Danforth mm-hmm. uh, in Toronto. Actually, sorry, I should correct you. It's at, at Bloor now. It's at Bloor and Ossington. It used Bloor to be on Ossington. the Danforth. Yeah, it yeah. used to be on the Danforth. That's right. Now it's at Bloor and Ossington. That's right. That's right. Uh, and uh, you can find him there the first Thursday with his improv group, The Lusty Mannequins. We're going to talk about that in a second. But one thing that happened uh, during the commercial break is we left. We were talking about cell phone addiction. And uh, Grace, you have a friend. We don't have to mention her name, but she's uh, young, much younger than me, and she has no connectivity no except media. for email, right? Yeah. And and I'm and, in awe. Yeah, and you were saying that you know she kind of walks through the world in a different way. Yeah, well, I mean she's uh, she's not reachable unless she wants to be, yeah. or to her you know her inner network, her actual real life old style friends. Yeah. Um, and I I think, wow, I wish I could turn back the clock and make that choice because it it seems so lovely that uh you know you don't have weird ghosts from high school showing up (laughs) in your facebook messenger and sending you weird messages or something um you know she she gets to sort of interact with people in an organic way because it's you know it's two people who actually want to be in touch with each other and jennifer Mm -hmm. you i mean as an entrepreneur for pluck teas you mean you have to use it do you use it are you someone, and, and I'm embarrassed to admit that, I mean, I pick up my phone more often than I would like. Uh, are you someone that does that as well? Um, I try really hard to be good about it. I've tried to quit four times. Um, really? Yeah, it just keeps bringing me back. I mean, I, I just feel like I'm going to miss. I know it's so obvious, <laughs> but fear of missing out is a real thing. Yeah. You know, I didn't see friends for a long time. They said, you know, we just aren't, you, you don't you don't respond to Facebook. Because I had quit, and uh, and I felt badly. But you have the fear of missing out. And then you realize, I haven't really missed out on anything, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, so often, you know, after I've checked my phone 400 times, I don't remember anything much that I've just read. True. Very true. I think it's, you know, something you do when you're bored, you're you're in between two things, um, you know, you're watching a show and there's a commercial that comes on. It just seems, it's a habit, it's really hard to break. It is indeed. Uh, but you're, you've all been very good while we've been on the air. We've had people in here that have texted and 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 been on their phones the entire show. Wow! Yeah. Name them, out them right wow. now. Yeah, uh, name and shame. Outrageous. <laughs> no, another time, another time. I feel like I said, I have actually never been on Facebook. I know, like I'm really? on, I am on Twitter and Instagram, but never signed up for Facebook. Took a lot of flack for it, you know. Yeah. I but, feel but you are a young man. Why? Why are you not? I just on Facebook? never did. I Too just, mysterious. I, exactly yeah. right. <laughs> Think I, I of tell, all the things. I, you know, I tell people that, and then people are like, "What?" Are you like, they, they are like people want to know? They want to get inside my head, and it's just the I just kind of missed it the first time around, and then everyone was doing it, and maybe it was a bit like, Oh, I'm gonna be cool and not do it. Well, uh, I, and I, it just I never did. I didn't sign up for Facebook for a long time because I I had ignored MySpace for a long time, mm. and then I signed up for MySpace, and it died almost <laughs> immediately afterwards. And I thought, You killed it, I killed it. I'm like yeah. the grandfather, the old grandpa's joining. It's, it's you know, who Uh-oh, wants Richard to... is here, shut it down. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. So, Facebook has uh, survived, and I would say even thrived since I've joined. There but, you go. Uh, well, but if I... you have to take credit for killing MySpace, you should take credit for helping Facebook thrive. There we as go. Well. Okay, yeah. I will do that. So, Connor, let's talk about the lusty mannequins. Sure. Who are they? Uh, they are myself, Ashley Como, Alistair Forbes, and Karen Parker for uh, Second City alumni. Um, we are. Not, you might appreciate this, Richard. The name Lusty Mannequins is a reference to the Lusty Men, a film by Nicholas Ray. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> which uh, I watched I in uh, university. And um, yeah, we're uh, we're. Uh, 
an improv troupe. So we just kind of, we get up on stage, we make stuff up on the spot. Uh, we kind of focus on uh, longer formats. We will improvise entire plays. All mm-hmm. uh, set in one location or in one town, playing characters, etc. And um, yeah, so our show is the first Thursday of every month, as you've mentioned. And uh, yeah, it's a kind of a, a, we try different formats all the time, so it's never the same way. We sometimes have fun guests play with us. And uh, we actually are fortunate enough to travel quite a bit. Um, we've been to Cape Town a couple times. Um, really? In, for, in South Africa? Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, there was no comedy scene there up until, you know, apartheid lifted. So it's still fairly yeah. new there. Right? Oh, uh, yeah. And improv in general is, is kind of a, a North American art form. Now, lots of people do it around the world, of course, and there are traditions of it in Europe and everywhere. But, um, you know, Chicago is the, you know, kind of the... The mecca of improv, yeah. and, and and most people kind of link improv with North America. So there, most of the scenes in in Africa, certainly, but in Europe as well, even are are compared to Chicago and Toronto, quite new. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's fun to go over there and uh, see what's going on and and meet people. And uh, yeah, so we've had the good fortune to go to Cape Town twice. We've been to. Dublin and Barcelona and uh, wow. Germany and yeah, it's very exciting. Toronto has a great scene though. I remember oh, yeah. seeing uh, well, I've, I've seen a, a lot of improv, Second City mm-hmm. notwithstanding, but uh, Naomi Snidekiss and oh, Matt yeah, Berm, sure. who would improvise an entire play. Yeah, yeah, based on uh, yeah, 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 and and uh, unbelievable stuff. Nug Nargang and, mm-hmm. and Christian Brune I saw once <laughs> yeah. uh, with a larger group. Uh, it improvise a musical. Uh, Richard, you're talking about Songbuster, and yeah. I'm in that. Well, so you saw me. I saw you. <laughs> Maybe. Actually, it might not have been in that show. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Songbuster and Improvised Musicals, another troupe that I'm part of. Unbelievable. Yeah. And yeah. so, talk, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about sure. uh, the Lusty Mannequins in a sec some more, but Songbusters blew my mind because it's an improvised musical, yeah. and the songs were great. Yeah. That's the thing that, that they key. rhymed, and the <laughs> songs were great. Yep, yep. Um, musical improv is one of the hardest kind of you know, aspects of improv you yeah. can do. So um, that group, we're very fortunate to have everyone kind of playing at the top of their game for sure. And I should point out that our music director, Tom King, is amazing. And he, uh, you know, so much in improv, when you think musical improv, you get kind of the blues or yeah, yeah, a hoedown. Yeah. But he just plays these orchestral, just on a piano, this kind of, these kind of orchestral sweeping tunes that uh, are also melodic and they're easy to sing to, but they're nothing like you ever really hear. They sound like actual musical theater songs. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so it's it's a wonderful troupe, and um, yeah, I should mention too, since I'm here, uh, Songbuster plays, um, I believe, the second Thursday of every month, um, uh, currently at Buddies and Bad Times. Oh, cool! And uh, there's various other shows coming up, but you can follow Songbuster on Instagram. I, I will come like to that. those because yeah. it's a great show, and I live around the corner, so Perfect. I will I will come we'll to see that. you there. Yeah, and uh, so I find in a live situation, if I'm hosting something. I'm better if I don't over-prepare. But I also find that it's nerve-wracking going on. And then when I get up there, I'm all right, Mm -hmm. generally speaking. But you don't know what's going to happen until you walk up there. How do you feel before you go out? You've got an audience that's paid to be there. And they're like, dance for me, monkey boy. Honestly, (laughs) at this point, uh, I consider it, and we all do in The Lusty Mannequins, that's kind of our element. There's no fear there at all. In fact, it's exciting. And we know that... Anywhere in the world, at any time, we can do an hour's worth of entertainment with no preparation whatsoever for anyone. Um, now, that's not the same for everyone, and like new improvisers get nervous, and fair enough, but we've mm-hmm. just all been doing it for so long that it's easy for us to kind of put aside 
any kind of anxiety about it and just get excited about what's to come. What are the tools that you have to have? I mean, I would, I would imagine that you really have to be up on everything that's going on in the world because uh, it, it just has part of it to keep it timely, to keep it, to make it feel like you're not falling back into old bits or pre-ordained mm -hmm. things. You have to really know what's going on, what Donald Trump said that day, what's what's going on. So you have to be a bit of a news junkie, I would imagine. You have to know what songs are on the charts. You have to know all that stuff, right? A little bit, yeah. You It's, it's certainly the higher um, your reference level in general, the better. The more you know, the more even just trivia you know. Right. You know, like I, I get mocked sometimes because I'm just a, a kind of a Civil War buff. So like I, <laughs> every now and then we'll drop a Civil War reference in a scene and my scene partners will make fun of me and it's all good. But the more you know, the more you can play. And uh, the, the kind of improv that um, that we do in The Lusty Mannequins is a little less kind of immediately of the now, so we right. won't necessarily be talking about what Trump said. Um, and it's more about kind of the evergreen relationships and you know the characters that we uh, play and interact with um, in the world around us. So uh, certainly it's it, it needs improv needs to be relevant and... Um, it can't just kind of fall back into old jokes and tropes, certainly. But uh, it's, for me anyway, it's less about, um, you know, commenting on the now. And lots of improv is that. But yep. what we do is more just kind of the universal stories. You can see Connor if you have your Thursday nights clear. Mm -hmm. You can see him uh, the first Thursday of every month at the Bad Dog Theatre at Bloor and Ossington in Toronto and at Buddies and Bad Times on the second Thursday of every month with Songbusters. The Songbusters show really is amazing. There you go. It's check really it out. amazing. So uh, really uh, check that out because it's, uh, it, it's really worth a look. And you won't believe that it's real. You won't believe that it's happening in front of you because it's. I've got the song so written on my hand. I know, you do. I know <laughs> you do. I'm giving it away. <laughs> so we've only got about 30 seconds left. Um, just th throw out your thoughts here. Alexa, the little guy that looks Siri on mm -hmm. your phone, is a new thing you get. So now apparently Alexa is going to start offering opinions on things. They're going to say, you know, you're thinking, hey, I want to watch Three's Company. They say, don't you want to watch uh, Sanford and Son because that was a better show? Do we want our electronics making suggestions for us, Jennifer? No, absolutely no. not. I think, I mean, crowdsource suggestion. Where is she getting her intel? I mean, how does she know me so well? I, I don't I don't think there's anything good that can come of this. Here's the thing. She doesn't know you. She's right. a yeah, machine. Of course not. <laughs> I, already, I get in arguments with the GPS already. So, like, <laughs> like, vocal arguments in my car by myself. So I can't imagine having a device like that in my home. It's crazy. Mm. That's it. Yeah. Grace, we're out of time. You'll have to come back and tell us how you feel about Alexa another time. Uh, thanks so much to everybody. Connor Thompson, we just talked about him. Go see him at the uh, Bad Dog Theater. Jennifer Commons, check her out. Check her out. Check it out. Uh, <laughs> Plucktees.com. Uh, and uh, Grace O'Connell's book is called Be Ready for the Lightning. Check it out at fine and not-so-fine bookstores everywhere. Thank you for listening, and thanks to Andre on the board.